Today I want to talk to you about the King is Calling. The King is Calling. And if you want to open your Bibles, I would love it if you'd go with me. We're going to be in two places primarily this morning. Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. So go to Luke 14 if you want to put your finger there. And then we're going to go to the book of Ezra. One of my favorite books in all the Word of God. The book of Ezra. And I want to tell you, the king is calling. There's a story. If any of y'all know my father-in-law, Andy Lovell, he has been a minister for over 40 years. And he has stories upon stories. He's a brilliant storyteller. He's done children's ministry for three and a half, four decades. So he's fantastic at telling stories. And one of the stories he tells, whether it's true or not, it's a tale that there is a woman, and she's in Britain, where he's from, of course, And she's in Britain, and she's a very bitter woman. She's been hurt. She's been slandered. Women have gossiped about her. And so she doesn't really want to see people. She's in her home, and there comes a knock on the door. I'm not answering the door. I don't want to see anyone. I pause for a minute. I'll not answer the door. You can knock until doomsday, but I'll not answer ye. And then no more after that. But little did she know, in this story at least, that that was actually the queen who was in her summer home who was going around to see some of her subjects, but she had turned them away. She rejected that call. The queen, in this instance, was coming to call upon her, to talk to her, a subject of hers. But she rejected it for whatever reason, the bitterness, the pain of life. But we have a sovereign, Jesus, King Jesus, who is much greater than any earthly monarch. Beautiful king who not only rules, but he gave his life for us. God bless you. He gave his life for us and he loves us and he is constantly calling. He is not a distant king who sends just a letter every now and then, although he has sent us many wonderful letters together in this great book. He sent us many wonderful things through other people, but he comes to dwell within us and he comes to be active within us and he comes to fellowship with us day by day by day. And the king is calling and I must answer. I must answer. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is with some Pharisees, actually, and he's having dinner with them. And he says this in uh, verse 15, it says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. I mean, has it really changed since the last time <laughs> you, you saw it, really? I mean, he was busy with his business. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets, lanes of the city and bringing the poor, the crippled, the the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. There was plenty of room in the kingdom of God in this story for many others But they had refused the call. They refused the call. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, hedges, and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. 
Now that is, of course, talking about the entering into the kingdom of God. That is, of course, talking to us about salvation. You know, he's sitting before this religious crowd and he's telling them, you talk about the kingdom of God so much. You know so much of the word of God. Your fathers are the prophets. You know all these things, but yet you're not even going to enter because of so many distractions. You're so blinded by so many things. But it's those, those that are not worthy in your eyes that are going to come in. They're going to be compelled to come in to this great feast. And I'm talking to believers today, people who I believe have, we've answered that call to come in. We're waiting for our king to return. We're waiting to go forward. You know, like we're talking today, that sound of roaring waters. We want to pour out our worship. We want to sit with him in the kingdom of heaven. We want to eat bread with him in the kingdom of heaven. Excitingly, Jesus said at the last supper, whenever he gave communion as a symbol of what he was going to do, he said, I won't drink of this cup, this fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you anew in heaven. Jesus is on a holy fast, as it were, from even tasting of that juice, of that wine until we're there at the table with him. That's when you know someone really, really loves you. It's when they won't eat until you're home. I mean, your stomach's growling, and I know he needs nothing. We know that. We read that in the Psalms. If I, if I was hungry, would I tell you? Lebanon is mine. Everything is mine. But here is the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, saying, I'm going to wait for you at the table, and I've prepared a place for you. But how many of us know there is still so much that this loving, kind, patient king wants to do with us right now? He not only called us back then in, out of darkness into his marvelous light. He not only translated us or pulled us up and out of darkness and into that kingdom and made us children of his father. But he wants to talk to us every single day. He desires intimacy. Intimacy. Intimacy is not meant to get stale. It's not that we should think about the fiery and wonderful times and things we did and how we witnessed and evangelized years gone by or when I first got saved. Although there are great times of zeal, you know, and we grow and we learn how to talk to people maybe a little bit better in the spirit. But it's not just our 20s or 30s or even into our 50s, but all of our days with him. We should be growing closer to him even as our life is getting closer to being with him whether he comes or whether we go to meet him. Every single day, the king is calling, and I must answer. The king is calling. I want to encourage us today. If you go with me to the book of Ezra, it's right after Kings, right after Chronicles. It's in a really good place. At the end of Chronicles, there was um, terrible idolatry. People were offering up children as burnt sacrifices to false gods. And because of that, God had enough of the people and he spewed them out of the land. The Babylonians took them captive, took them away for 70 years in Babylon. And then Persia took over. And what happened? A call of God came. It says this in Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. A call of God came to these people who, because of their own rebellion and disobedience, their father's rebellion and disobedience, they had been thrust out of the land. But God was not done with them. You may have disobeyed God. You may have run from his call. You may have slipped into sin for a season. But he has not rejected you. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not only willing, he's able 
He can do it. He breaks no laws to do that. Look at Jonah. The call of God came back to this rebellious nation. It says in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, a pagan king. And he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Wow. This pagan king, God has moved upon his heart to go and to reform, to, to, to give the people of Israel that are in captivity, not only the financial means, but the blessing to say, go and build that place where the presence of your God was. That is absolutely amazing. The king was calling and some people heard and they went back. They went back. It was an exciting start. It's, he even says, who's among you? Verse 3, of all his people, may his God be with them. Let him go up to Jerusalem. Go, go. You were brought here as slaves. You were forced to come here. Go freely. I could go back. Yes, yes. So many times maybe God's calling us and talk to us. And so many things have entered our hearts that we don't want to even read the Bible. We're discouraged. I don't want to read the Bible. Life's not what I want. I don't get the salary I want. I'm divorced. I was let down. I have abuse in my life. All these things. And maybe God's like, if you would just let me speak to you, I might be setting you free today. If you would just hear my voice. The king is calling. The king is calling. I must answer. Things went well. A large group of people went. This is exciting, you know. They're all traveling back. It makes me think of that old game, the Oregon Trail. Anybody remember that? Yep. Shoot the rabbit, shoot the bears. <laughs> That's really old school, early 90s there. Anyway, it makes me think of that. They're traveling back. The traveling back takes them months to go through all these hundreds of miles, all these hundreds of miles. Things are exciting. God gets them there safely. They're there. They're counting it up. Oh, God's with us. Everything's going so well. Then arose the Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, with his fellow priests, Zerubbabel, with the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen, they built the, ar- the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it's written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Here we are, God. Thank you for bringing us back. We're going to obey you this time. We're going to obey you. We're not going to pollute your altar anymore. The law of Moses said that we were to, to offer sacrifices in the morning and evening. We're going to do that now, God. Thank you so much. Things are going so well. They're on the right track. They set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the people of the lands and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. They even kept a feast of booths as it is written. That's important because everything that was done before they were cast out because they didn't do as it was written. But now they're doing it all as it was written. But they had fear. There was, there was discouragement. There were people who were whispering and murmuring threatenings against them. People who did not like that the Jewish people were back. Because Satan always hates the people of God. He always despises the worship of the one true God. He hates the presence of God. And he'll do whatever he can but fear within us to hold us back in any way possible. Whether it's gathering here, whether it's serving him out there, whether it's speaking his name, whether it's even getting to the quiet place with God ourselves to worship him, whatever he can do. But they kept going. And maybe you've kept going and you've kept going and you've heard God. And and in spite of fear and in spite of circumstances, 
maybe so many things. My, my brother over here, he, you speak to your coworkers so much. Like, yeah, you need Jesus. And why don't you come to church with me? You're so bold. You're so bold, brother. And, and that encourages me. And maybe sometimes, maybe you would be discouraged. Like, oh, maybe I need to calm down. Maybe I don't need to say it like that. Or maybe you've had a bad day or discouraged or whatever. You know, but keep telling those men about Jesus. Keep loving them. Keep giving them the word of God. Because you're probably one of the only people to speak to them. And those lives. But what happens when we hear the voice of God? Maybe we're doing good for a while. But what happens? Chapter 4. Now when the adversaries, and we are surrounded by adversaries right now, aren't we? Just in the world we know that. We don't have to think about it politically, but just in the spiritual realm. It's like there's, there's never been a time in our generations recently where there's been such an aggression against biblical truth, against absolute truth. There's moral relativism. It's, well, that's whatever it means to you. If, it, if, if, that, if that's what you're happy with, hey, it's a free country. Do what you want to do. Adversaries. It says, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, they weren't content simply with the altar. They wanted to go the whole way and build the temple to cover it over. To let it be this place of worship. To let it be all that God wanted it to be. They approached Zerubbabel, who was the governor at the time, the heads of the father's houses, and said to them, Let us build with you. For we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. See, some other people had been brought into the land of Israel to fill it up years before, whenever they had been thrust out. And they're saying, hey, yeah, we're pagans, you know, we're polytheists, but let us do this with you. We're with you. We, we want to build this up too. But listen to this. This is a man of God here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers of the houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us and building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. But then listen, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. And they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. 17 to 20 years. They stopped doing the will of God because of fear and discouragement. Fear and discouragement. And I want you to think in your life, maybe God has spoken to you at some point. I want to do this in your life. I want to do that in your life. I want you to obey me here. I want you to obey me there. And you got discouraged and you kind of quit. And you're like, was that ever really God? Was that ever really him? You were sure of it before, but now you're wondering, did I ever really hear him to begin with? Because all of these Opposing circumstances have come against me and I'm discouraged and I've just kind of left it there for a while. I failed. Something else has entered in. And so I'm just going to stop right there. They were doing well. The king had called once. They answered. They listened. They obeyed. But they stopped obeying because opposition came in. 17 years. But then God sent two prophets. Haggai and Zechariah. It took two prophets 
to prophesy to the people of Israel so that they would begin to obey once again, that they would continue to carry out the call of God. What did they say? And I want us to hear this for our lives. For our lives, the King has called us, not just to salvation, but to how many other things and how many new things He may speak into our lives. This is what He said in Haggai 1. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Oh, you put up the crown molding, you know, you redid the master bath. That's easy for you to do with all your time. But I've called you to study the word of God. You can get up at 530 to go to a job site because you want to be a good steward and that's good to your boss. You want to get ahead, and that's a lovely thing. That's good. That's obedience. But I've also called you to seek me over here. What about me? Your house is beautiful, but what about my house? What about the call I gave you? Don't you remember why you were cast out? Don't you remember why you dealt with the pain and the frustration? Because you had set me aside. And now I relented and gave you mercy? Have you forgotten Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? This house lies in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. God had allowed just a small piece of judgment, a small piece of, or maybe even just a slight removal of his blessing. Maybe there was going to come a drought. Maybe he said, I could have moved that drought aside, but I'm actually going to pull my hand back to let you feel that a little bit because I want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear my voice. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busy himself with his own house. My wife and I are actually in the middle of purchasing a new house right now. So how must this strike my heart? There's nothing wrong with enjoying that. There's nothing wrong. He gives us all things richly to enjoy, and we're going to be redoing this house. And uh, the thought crept in several weeks ago, oh, I wonder if I'll be able to do as much or take opportunities to speak and things like this while I'm doing this. I really need to get that done. I'm glad God dealt with my heart before then. It was just a thought that entered in, you know, and then I'm just kind of like, wait, uh, that's not right. I can't step aside for a month or two simply because I'm getting a new home, but how often can we easily be distracted by those things? Or, oh, I need, I need to take care of this. And we, we've got that little bit of money. And we've always wanted to do this. And again, those things can be good as long as it doesn't come at the cost of obeying what God has called us to. It could be a fishing boat. It could be anything. Whatever the Lord puts his hand on. Let's just let him have that. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I'm with you, declares the Lord. I'm not just cracking the whip and saying, get to it. Do that thing I told you to do. I'm with you. 
I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to be with you. My grace is here. My presence will be there as you're obeying me, stepping out in faith to complete the call that I've called you to. I'm with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, that, that governor, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They came, they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, and the sixth month of the second year of Darius the king. Wow. They did it. They finished it. It took encouragement. And you know, life will discourage us. We need to be part of a body. We need to be here. We need to encourage one another. We need to be open with what we feel like God is calling us to in the right way. A fool shares his whole heart. You don't have to tell everyone, but that person. And if you don't have a person that close, pray for that. Be that person for someone else and they might reciprocate that to us where we can be open and encourage one another. Hey, you said that God really wanted you to take some time to learn Spanish or read the Bible or go out and do evangelism. Did you get the gospel tracks yet? Oh man, I keep forgetting to do it. Well, come on, buy them, buy them right now. Pull out your phone, let's do it together. This is exciting, you're obeying the will of God. They needed that encouragement. And how can we encourage one another if we don't see each other? If we're not there with one another? It says to come together all the more as we see the day approaching. It says that we are supposed to encourage one another. How do we know how to encourage? How do I know to encourage my mom? Spending time with her. I kind of know what makes her tick. I know what will discourage her and what encourages her. How can I know that about you or you me or you each other unless we take the time to do it? We can't complete the call of God alone in a box. It takes a body. You are required and this church will never be all God intends it to be. This church will never complete its call through Lee Ship alone, through Felix or anyone else. It is a body together, all the gifts functioning, all of us hearing God, all of us doing it. People say, I feel called to clean the church. Hallelujah. I feel called to go put up baseboards and help Andrew because he doesn't know how to do construction whenever the church, oh, hallelujah. You don't know how I'm praying over there. You're calling me to oversee facilities. God, I was a project manager, but in operations and a business, not with wood and nails and all these things. Sure, I've learned a few things around the house, but nothing at this scale. So then God sends me a Richard Longmire. He sends me Tony. He sends me several other people, lots of other people, lots of other people to bless and to help to complete that call. And I could just fold up my hands and I could say, look, Pastor Lee, I know God told me to step away from my job. And I know I said I didn't care what you put me in, but I, I don't I can't complete this call. I don't have the ability. But God said, I'm with you. I'm with you to complete what I've called you to do. And I'm, I'm going to put people around you. That's what he did here. He put people around him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So then God brings this, uh, this priest, Ezra. That's why I named my son Ezra. Um, it, the word, it actually means help. And he prepared his heart. Ezra came. He, the, second, the second half of the book of Ezra happened quite a few years after the beginning. So this, this first group of uh, people comes, they establish the, the altar, they establish the temple. Time is passing, and either right around the time he was born or just a few years after, it's complete. So Ezra is actually growing up in a time of great spiritual possibility, great spiritual revival even. He set his heart 
to follow God. He prepared himself. He knew, I am of the lineage of Aaron the priest. That means I am a priest as well. I should be prepared. We're told to study the word of God. We're told to know how to give an answer for our faith. You may not see an opportunity to do the thing right now. It may not make sense right now. But if you don't prepare now, how will you be ready when all of a sudden, boom, the opportunity lays at your feet? If we don't go forth now. If we don't obey when it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense for those people to follow Jesus, follow God at that time. It didn't make sense for them to stand against all these powerful people at that time. But they still did it. Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses. That means he was pouring over it. Oh, I want to serve you, God. Oh, I want to love you, God. Help me. Teach me this. Help me. The Lord, the God of Israel, had given him that. And then one day the king granted this man who had prepared his heart, go and teach all of Israel. What might God be preparing you for? What might he be planning to do for me? Oh, but I'm just a nurse and I'm getting towards retirement and maybe I'm not, I've lost a step comparatively to where I used to be. Don't, excuse me? Don't you remember how I used midwives in the land of Egypt to deliver Moses? Don't you remember how the king gave the order to kill every male child that was born, but they kept them alive, including Moses and Aaron, who then delivered the nation, who then gave the law, who then came forth the Messiah later? Don't say, I'm just a this. What is God calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? Let your heart be stirred. Let it be committed. Let your heart be like the Apostle Paul who said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I was there in the morning, perhaps, he said, and God was like, I really want you to get in the word more. I have great plans for your life. And you're, you're studying this much, but I want to go deeper. Oh God, but it cost me something. Oh God, but they're not doing that. I didn't ask you to look at them and compare your life to them. I didn't ask you to do what they were doing. I have something else. The grace of God was not frustrated. He didn't say that's too much or, you know, whatever. He said, I worked harder than any of them. It was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The grace of God will come to us. He will talk to us. He will call us and tell us to do things. Whatever that is, even if it's a cooking ministry, whatever. Golly, that is the, that's my favorite ministry in this church. Is the cooking ministry. And it's your favorite ministry when you need it. And I'm like, wow, praise God. I, I hate to cook. And here are these women. And they're cooking not just for their own families, but for other people. This is amazing. Right when you need it. Oh, caring for you after a surgery, after the birth of your children. Oh, whenever you're sick. Labor hard. Like Pastor Lee spoke in the conference, a two-minute warning. What did God tell you to do? Maybe all your job is to block this player on the field. Maybe your job is to pray for the people who are preaching or pray for the people when they go out to speak to the internationals. Or you say, I don't know how to speak to young people. Well, let God teach you. Let God teach you. Whatever it is, my, my, my mom was told years ago, you'll never do anything but clean. And now she works at the LSU Foundation, the most amazing view of Tiger Stadium, the trees and everything, always has an intern right there, completely different generation. 
How do I talk to him, God? How do I minister? I'll teach you. Just answer my call and I will be with you. I'm with you, says the Lord. I'm with you, says the Lord. And I want to give a modern example. And I just, I want to close with that. But there was a man 40, 50 years ago. He was in Pennsylvania, Assemblies of God pastor. He used to stay up from 12 to 2 a.m. to watch news and talk shows because he thought, I, I need to know what people are watching and things like this. Things were much cleaner back then, right? Variety shows, things like that. Some of y'all may remember that. But God dealt with him. God came calling one night and said, look, I want you to give me this time. So he sold his TV. He began to take time with God. There was this Life magazine right there and he picked it up and he looked and he was struck. He saw this court case of these people had beat this homeless man to death in a park. These young teenage boys, he could not shake it. So he went before his church and he said, would you please, I want to take up an offering. God's sending me out there. He goes there. He goes to the hotel. He uh, goes to the courtroom the next day. He fasted that morning because the king called. He heard his voice. I think we should go. He and his junior minister, the last two seats in the courtroom. The court ends its proceedings. He stands up, goes to the judge. Can I talk to you, judge? The police begin to take him away. He's not meaning any harm. He, he just doesn't know what to do. The king has called and I'm trying to obey. The news picks up on it. It's been the big sensational story. And they say, show us your Bible. So he picks it up like this. And then he looks like a fool. He looks like some nut preacher who just appeared and was interrupting the proceedings. He's so discouraged on his way back home. He goes to New Jersey to visit his family. He feels a fool because he knows it's going to be all over. All the newspapers everywhere. And he was right. Everyone saw you are a foolish man. You thought you heard God, but you didn't. He was, he was expecting to get encouragement from his mother and father. His father told him, yeah, that ordination you thought you were going to get from your assemblies of God, <laughs> you can forget that. You've blown it. Talk about discouragement. You know what his mom said? She said, David, maybe you can't see it now. Maybe you didn't miss God. Maybe he's going to do something through this that you don't know yet. And what came forth? He went home. God put in his heart that verse. He works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it was just pounding in his heart again and again. And then the call came again. Go back. <gasps> Go back? I mean, my congregation loves me, but they, they even think I missed it. Oh, God, go back? So he goes back before the church. Would you take up another love offering? God's telling me to go back. He goes out. And then the king calls. His junior minister, again, his youth minister is driving. He gets out. He just feels like he should. He starts walking. Hey, preacher. Hey, David, preacher. It's a street gang of young guys. You're one of us. What do you mean I'm one of you? Well, you had a run in with the police. We saw it in the newspapers. That means you're one of us. And just like that, Teen Challenge was born through David Wilkerson's life because God opened the door. He thought he missed it. He thought he missed it. Then Times Square Church gets started. And then Summit School of Ministry gets started. Then in 2016, Pastor Lee hears from God. The king was calling. Go form broader relationships. Goes to a conference. Forms an acquaintance with Carter Conlon in 2016. We meet Nick Godshaw. He comes to preach. He talks about uh, the sabbatical program. Ross and Sarah Beth Kibido go. And she begins to walk again because they heard the king call. What does it matter if I obey? I feel like a fool. But you don't know what's going to happen 50 years down the road. A girl's going to get up out of a wheelchair she's been in for four years and she's going to walk. 
because you heard the king call. And I want to ask you and challenge you and please, musicians, if we have any here, come up. What people will be called to the ministry through your life? Which nations will be affected? I'm not saying small stuff. There are people that you and I don't know from the second century A.D. who did not deny Christ. We don't know their names and never will till heaven. But something they did in hearing the king and obeying him is in us now. It is in us now. It is. You may not have known Martin Luther or some of these reformers, but the stand they took by grace alone is by the word of God. You may not be from that tradition, and I am not Lutheran, but the stand they took in hearing God and obeying is in my spiritual DNA now. And Christ is coming soon. But should he tarry, whether it be a year 550 or 250, and this nation no longer stand, there will be someone affected by your disobedience or our obedience. I want my life to matter, even if no one ever knows my name, if I never write a book, and I want the same for you, that in heaven it will be written down. You were a raiser of nations. You were a revivalist. You sowed into this young person in a nation you don't even know yet. How, God, it doesn't matter if we see it all now, just like they didn't see it all then. Let's not get caught up with the cares of this life. It is the two-minute warning. Let's hear the king. He is speaking. He is calling if we'll just take the time to listen and if we'll receive his grace to obey. Father, please help us. This stirs me and it's exciting to me up here, God. It, it, it is hard during the week when we're working and when we're busy. I pray for every person here that you would do a work, that you would stir them, that you would begin to speak right now and you would say, there was that thing you were doing, you are not anymore because you got discouraged or afraid. You felt like you didn't have the resources, the time, whatever it was. And I'm kindling that fire again. It's been 17 years. And I'm sending a prophet to tell you today, arise and build for I am 